Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's this saying, don't lose the forest for the trees. And the general idea there is if you focus too much on individual parts of a whole, you're going to miss the significance of the whole entirely. But I want to turn that on its head for us this morning and say, this Lent, I don't want us to miss the trees for the forest. And here's why I say that. In Lent, the predominant themes are sorrow over our sin that through God's grace leads us to repentance and greater depth of appreciation for our Lord's suffering and death for us. And it can be easy in this season to just think, oh, every church service is basically just about that, and there's not really much of else to be grabbed onto. But we can sometimes forget that Jesus had this long ministry full of these encounters with people, wherever they're at in their lives, and he tirelessly poured out grace and love to them in just the way they needed. And those people are a lot like you, and they're a lot like me. So this Sunday and the rest of the Sundays in March, I'm going to preach on these encounters between Jesus and certain people in the Gospel of John. Today, it's Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus teaching, or giving knowledge anyway, to the smart one. Next week, it's Jesus and the woman at the well. After that, it's Jesus healing a man born blind. And finally, Jesus giving comfort to the grieving sisters of Lazarus as he raises Lazarus from the dead. So, Nicodemus. We heard in the gospel reading that Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jews. He was a well-respected, well-educated, well-credentialed teacher. And he approaches Jesus at night of necessity because Nicodemus didn't want his reputation to suffer, right? How many encounters are there in the gospels between Jesus and the Pharisees where the Pharisees say, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be doing that. Or Jesus, why do your disciples do this? Or when Jesus just says, woe to you, Pharisees, over and over and over again. So there was some tension, (laughs) you could say, between Jesus and the Pharisees. So Nicodemus approaches him by night so that he wouldn't have to face the consequences of treating this uneducated, uncredentialed tradesman from backwater Nazareth as a legitimate teacher. And Nicodemus, perhaps even in spite of his own doubts, he comes up to Jesus and he says, we know or at least I know, Jesus, that you are a teacher come from God because nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And to this, Jesus responds, well, you're saying what you think you know, but actually, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Whatever it is you think you're perceiving, unless you're born again, the kingdom of God is invisible to you. And this conversation escalates. They go back and forth like two very skilled tennis players driving the ball back across the net at each other until finally Nicodemus reaches his point where he's, he's done asking questions and he just says, how can these things be? What are you talking about Jesus? And Jesus says to him, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, in other words, Jesus could explain the entire plan of what he was on earth to do. And Nicodemus and everyone else still wouldn't understand it. If I told you earthly things and you don't get it, basically, Nicodemus, this conversation I just had with you and you're stumped. And now you're asking, how can these things be? You didn't get that. You're not going to understand what, I'm, what I would tell you now. And Jesus actually did this in, in all four Gospels. He predicts his suffering and death and resurrection. And his closest friends who had heard him preach and teach and they witnessed all of his miracles and everything like that said, what? No way, Lord. In fact, just back on Transfiguration Sunday, Peter said, no, absolutely not, Jesus. You're not going to be killed. They didn't get it. So Jesus, the last word that he gives to Nicodemus is this. He compares himself to this bronze serpent lifted up on a pole in the wilderness by Moses. And Nicodemus was a very well, or again, like I said, very well-educated teacher. He knew this story. I suspect that we probably are unfamiliar with the story, so let me give you a summary. The Israelites, this is back in Numbers chapter 21. If you want to look this up when you get home. It's real brief. It ends very suddenly. It's kind of confusing. But Jesus helps us understand what it really means here in today's gospel text. Numbers 21, the Israelites are newly freed, maybe 30 or 40 years, not, not quite 40 years, 20 years, 30 years, after 430 years of miserable slavery in Egypt. 430 years. And they're out for like 20 years. And they're wandering through the wilderness because they lacked faith in God to lead them into the promised land. And they say, why, Moses and God, did you liberate us from Egypt only to have us die out here in the wilderness? And so God sends fiery serpents. This is what they're called, fiery serpents. I don't really know the, what the fiery thing means, but they, apparently they were venomous. And a lot of people were bitten and they died. And so the people repented and said, Moses, pray to God for us. We know we're wrong. We, we, we want to have a reconciliation with God. Just get these, take these snakes away from us. So God tells Moses, make a fiery serpent and lift it up on a pole in the camp so that whoever looks at it might not die, but live. So why then does Jesus resort to this story about the bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness in his final attempt to explain to Nicodemus what he's there to do. In the days of Moses, people had to look in faith on a raised image of the thing that was killing them, and they would live. When Jesus came on the scene, he was lifted up from the earth on the cross. Lifted up was kind of a euphemism at the time. It was a way of saying, be crucified, without having to actually say, be crucified, because... Crucifixion was everyone's worst nightmare. So for the Son of Man to be lifted up, the Son of Man to be crucified, the world looks at the Lord Jesus hanging from the cross, who had become sin for us. It says 
In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. The Israelites were being killed by these fiery serpents. They look on an image of a serpent lifted up and they live. We are being killed by what? Romans says the wages of what is death? Sin. And we look upon this image, the sin of the world, lifted up on the cross in order that we might be saved. And at this point, our translations disagree, whether this is Jesus talking in John 3.16 or whether this is the evangelist talking. I think it's the evangelist. So St. John breaks into this narrative with his own commentary. Jesus says this thing about the bronze serpent being lifted up. The son of man has to be lifted up so that whoever looks on him in faith would not die but have life. And we hear these famous words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Nicodemus didn't understand something, and so he went in search of answers. He sought more knowledge, and we do the same. When we don't understand what, something that's going on, we call a friend, or we call a family member, or we consult a manual. Unless you're a guy putting something together that came in a package, you know, then you just throw that manual away as soon as you (laughs) pull the tape off the thing, right? Or we Google it, right? Google has become a verb. Or if you're, you know, doing some amateur plumbing, before you call Scott Schwarzrock for help, (laughs) you you might look at YouTube and see someone else get themselves into a, a similar situation and how they got out of it. We do this all the time. We get stuck, we try to figure our way out of it because there's just something else I need to know and then my problem will be solved. But Nicodemus' questions to Jesus just led to more questions. And those questions didn't provide any satisfying answers. After a back and forth, (laughs) Nicodemus just says, what? How can any of this be possible? And it was when he stopped actively trying to have his questions answered that Jesus was able to give to him what he really needed to hear. The best answer. All you need to do is believe that the Son of Man, the only begotten Son of God, is here to be crucified for you so that you would have eternal life. The born of water and the Spirit and the being born again and seeing the kingdom of heaven and the Spirit blowing wherever it wants to and that being like the wind and Whatever is born of spirit is spirit, and whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, whatever. Just put that to the side. I'm here to die for you. And it's the same for you. Whatever is going on in your life that you don't understand, you're not going to find the peace that you're looking for, the stability that you're hoping for by beating on the doors of heaven and trying to interrogate God. If you do get an answer, it might just lead to more questions anyway. It's natural to wonder why and how, but what we learn from Jesus, what we learn about Jesus from Nicodemus, is that when we stop pursuing our line of questioning and we quiet ourselves and we let Jesus' love for us be the first word, the rest follows. We don't know 
how this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus ended that night. But we do know that Nicodemus was there with Joseph of Arimathea years later. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea, if you're like, that name sounds familiar, he is another Pharisee who was a secret disciple of Jesus. And he's the guy who owned the very expensive tomb cut into the stone that Jesus was laid in. And Nicodemus was there helping Joseph take the Son of Man's body down from being lifted up on the cross. Nicodemus very likely left this conversation with Jesus without any of his own questions answered, and yet he continued to follow Jesus to the very end, looking on the Son of God like that serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness centuries before that. And somehow that was enough for him to know of God's love. That was enough to hold him. And I'm here this morning to tell you that it's enough for you too. God knows your questions and he cares about your questions, the things that you don't understand. And in time, perhaps you will even get an answer or some kind of explanation. You'll get insight. But before that ever happens, you have to quiet yourself and really know this, not in a superficial way because it's the most well-known verse in the Bible, but you really have to know this truth at the core of yourself. That before you ever knew about it, God loved you. And now that you do know about it, no matter how much or how little you understand it or can explain it, God still loves you. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.